Seasons of the Gunslinger Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Sun-baked, sun-fried, sun-burned, sun-destroyed. Just another goddamn day in the sun. Jesus, will this sun ever go down? Finally, the sun dips below the horizon, and that ball of fire gives me the rest I've been hoping for. I give a tug on the reins, and my horse stops. My left hand removes my hat, and my right works through my sweaty hair. A deep breath of the already cooling air fills my lungs. For the first time in many hours, I really look at the country I'm passing through and appreciate its beauty. The rocks, covered with colorful lichen, poke out through the bluish sagebrush. Low juniper trees outline the washes and draws that work through this mesa like veins. Ahead, I spot my campsite for the night, a low ridge about a mile off to the south. Ought to be some wood there, and the orientation of the ridge should block the wind if it kicks up. I'll also have a great view of my back trail. Not that I'm expecting pursuit, but I will have plenty of good light for an hour or more anyway. There's a cluster of large sandstone boulders that will shield the fire, and a small patch of cheek grass for my horse. My gun belt and hat are set to the side to take full advantage of the cooling air. The horse gets a rub down, and then a small fire heats a large cup of water. I drop a chunk of hardtack and another of jerky in the boiling water. I eat this poor man's soup as I watch nightfall cover my back trail. When full night arrives, I douse the fire and rinse the cup. Time to lean against a rock and listen to the night. It's finally cool and my eyes drift closed. I'm not jerked awake. I'm just suddenly aware that I am awake. My eyes open and I see the waning gibbous moon splashing its silver light over the open plain. I'm aware of my horse and I can hear it breathing as it dozes. I'm aware of something else. I'm no longer alone. My hand snakes out for the walker colt in its holster and the large pistol swings up. It settles on the dark apparition that sits against the boulder some ten feet away. The shadowy figure doesn't flinch. It does not react at all. I wait. I've found it wise that when you've done what you need to do, waiting is the best thing to do next. It's also the hardest thing to do. The silence stretches. I notice that it is now truly silent. A normal night with its bugs and beasties hums with life and quiet sounds. Now there is a true deep silence that is so rare in the natural world. It seems odd that I can't see the face of the figure. In the light of the moon I can see most things. This shape seems to swallow all light. I wait. The man-shaped thing waits. All right, stranger, what brings you to my camp? I guess I lose this waiting game, but I'm still the one with the pistol. Smoothly, the figure leans forward. Just for a moment, the hatless figure is just blackness and burning eyes. Then, as if it's moving out of a shadow that does not exist, I see fine, delicate features. Those eyes, they burn above an angelic smile for just a breath, and then they resolve to a perfect black. The smile holds, and I confirm my suspicion that this is a man. You called... And I am here. 
The smile remains as he speaks. I believe you're mistaken, friend. I've been actively avoiding folk for quite some time now. Can't think of man or beast I'd call to me. My voice stays as steady as I would like. Mostly. Hmm, I haven't been called beast. The beast, actually. The smile seems to stretch even further, although it doesn't seem possible. He chuckles a bit and then leans back. And I suppose I am often mistaken for a man. Listen, mister. I wouldn't say I like killing, but I've done it before. Please convince me not to shoot you, just so I can go back to sleep. I try to make sense of what the hell is going on, but I make no headway. I've never seen a man so comfortable with a steady hand holding a gun on him. Sean, let's dispense with the banter and get down to business. I've had just about every threat imaginable leveled at me, and yet, here I am. My guest spreads his hand and executes a seated bow. The name he calls me surprises me. I can't remember the last time I was called by that name. Must have been in the old country, I'm sure. Even on my army papers, I'd put Michael instead. That name was easier to get rid of than my accent, but even that faded. It faded just like everything else. Ground down in that war. Do you and I know each other, mister? Because I can't seem to place you. I'm feeling the weight of my pistol, so I lower my hand to a more comfortable position. I haven't heard that name in seven years or more. <laughs> right, right. But I know your name. Not just the name you used in New York City, and in the Fighting 69th. Not even the one you used back in Ireland. I know your true name. The one my father called you when he breathed life into you. The man tugs at his chin and looks up. Shall I tell you some of my names? Or have you guessed yet? My mind scrambles and kicks like an armadillo digging his burrow. My heartbeats get faster and I feel something welling up inside me. A sick, dizzy feeling that makes me shiver involuntarily. The gun sinks lower and I think, Diabla. My mind slips to Irish in my surprise. You're old scratch, aren't you? The devil's smile seems to stretch again. This time I know for sure no human could smile so wide. I'm not even thirty yet. Is it my time already? My heart sinks. Not sure if I want the answer. Oh no, Sean Michael O'Flannery. The way he says my name, each syllable sounds like the strike of a bell reverberating in the back of my eyes. Not your time. I'll tell you a secret. Your choices change the time of your death all the time. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He begins to laugh now, a deep, melodious laugh that gets just a little shrill before it cuts off. So what is it that I can do for you, then? I say as I put the big walker back in its worn holster. Oh, young man, we'll get to that. We'll definitely get to that. But first things at the beginning, end things at the end, and my things all along the way. Let's talk about your call and your desires first.
We can save the other bits and pieces for dessert. His hands begin to dance around each other in a washing motion. I, I start to protest. He holds up his hand and shakes his head. Skip the silly and frankly childish word games. We both know you wanted me to come to make you into something else. To make you unstoppable. A force of nature. To bring justice and settle old wrongs. I really thought you would call me during the war, but you held so tightly to my father then. He sighs, shakes his head in such an overdramatic way it's almost comical. Now you accept reality. Even though he is omniscient and omnipresent, he rarely gets involved. But I am always here. I feel the old familiar rush the anger and the battle lust that has made me who I am and kept me alive. He never comes, never answers. The venom in my voice is fueled by all those memories, bubbling suddenly to the fore. My breathing is fast and my hands clench. The man who claims to be a fallen angel just smiles and nods approvingly. Yes, Sean, you see? That's why I came. That right there. I am eternal, and I have hated for so long. It's always refreshing to see it burn anew. A pipe seems to appear from nowhere in his left hand, and the lit match in his right. He leans back and puffs. Eternal, but busy, Sean. Do you want to hear my offer or not? I'll hear your words. And I'll keep in mind you're the Prince of Lies as you go, I say. <laughs> the Prince of so much more than lies, but I accept your skeptical condition. He puffs again at the pipe and exhales a cloud of smoke so dense it seems solid. Sean, my lad, I have seen you. Seen your heart laid bare. I have heard you. I have heard that voice inside you that speaks only the truth. Cease your own word games and speak plainly, I say. I'm tired and you have said you were busy. Let's get on with this so I can deny you and go back to sleep. His fingertips touch beneath his chin. With the pipe clenched in his teeth, his shark smile stretches again. Ah, the sweet taste of hubris. He leans in, his eyebrows arch. Sean, my boy. Faith and fear both require that you believe in something that doesn't exist. I see that you've put aside your faith. My offer is to take away your fear. Fear of death, fear of hurt, fear of failure, all gone. I will make you immune to disease and plague. I will make you immune to damage from accident or violence. I wish to make you the Achilles of your day an indomitable warrior who fears nothing on the earth. I will do this, not for your soul, but for your service. My father has cast me down for my grievous offenses, and I have long ago accepted that. My goal is not to add souls to my empire of pain and torture. I will earn the forgiveness of my father by assisting the development of his creation. The term of service will be one hundred years. You will take my directions during this time, and at the completion of the term, 
you will go to your just reward. He leans back, and his smile turns into a smirk. He curls his leg to his chest. He rests elbow on knee and cheek on hand, waiting. My mind races. The possibility and opportunities fill me, and I ran through the things I might do. I wished for this exact power over death so many times. I'm suddenly shocked to realize I'm instantly considering this a deal with the devil. Cautiously, I ask, one hundred years of invulnerability in exchange for me doing things for you? I cannot be your slave for a century. There's no advantage for me. He laughs and slaps his leg. Oh no, not a slave, not even a servant. Just when I say something needs done, you do it. Too open-ended, I scoff. How about once a month, he counters quickly. Four times. Once per season, I fire back. Done, he says. And I get to choose whether to do it or not, I push a little. His face goes stern and cold. Impossible, he says flatly. I had to try, I grin. His smile returns and his hand comes toward me in one graceful flowing motion. Seal it, he says, and the words are in my head as well as in my ears. I stare at the hand. Think of all the tales about making a deal with the devil. Have I heard of one that didn't go badly in the end? Somewhere in my memory is the story of a saint that renounced God, but later was able to have an archbishop or a cardinal burn his contract. Of course, I know well the story of the fool Faustus, who sold his soul and wasted the magic he was given. I become your assassin for a century, four times per year, one for each season. In return, I keep my soul, but become immune to all damage, all the time. I attempt to state the deal as I understand it. Yes, he says. I have things that need done, and I judge that you can do what I need. I've tried other contracts when I had different aims, but now, he shrugs, your soul is yours to do with what you choose. It's much more entertaining that way. Besides, I have others that must be collected, so they can begin their torment, and before they do too much harm. How long do I have to make this decision, I ask? Until I leave. So, a few minutes. The smile is huge. Slowly I extend my hand thinking about what this means for me and for all the things that I have fought for in my life. As I take his hand in a firm grip, I can't help smiling. The smile feels huge, and I'm sure it stretches impossibly far across my face. Seasons of the Gunslinger, the last chapter. Second Timothy, chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Chilled to the bone, icy as a whore's heart, cold as ice, just another cold, empty night. Jesus, is the goddamn sun ever going to come up? 
Finally, the sun begins to light in the sky and the temperature begins to rise. The truck rolls to a halt in the gravel. I brush the stray pieces of windshield off my lap. I sit alone. It's always my preference, I suppose, but today it seems particularly fitting. I'm expecting company, but I will enjoy this peace while I can. I reckon I'll come out of this deal just about the way I went in. The warm sunshine filters through the trees and the morning breeze stirs my hair. The road I have been driving down has ended. I know I lost my pursuer some hours ago, but I just kept on driving. The feeling of being on the edge of a cliff comes over me. It's the date I've thought about of a million times. I don't bother getting out. Just lean back into the upholstered seat and stare out the ragged hole that used to hold the windshield. My pack sits on the seat next to me and I reach and pull it over. I dig in one of the side pouches and dump out a can of Hoppy's number nine, gun cleaning solvent, and several boxes of special order pistol ammunition before I find the flask. I have no food in the bag. I don't need to eat. I haven't felt hunger pangs in a century now. I still like to eat a well-prepared dish, but I've learned to keep it small. I eat only rarely and when I really want to, because I don't have to shit if I don't eat. I can't describe the pleasure of not having to indulge bodily functions. I am a living stereotype when it comes to whiskey and being Irish, though. The burn is familiar. And I take half the contents in one drink, knowing that my condition will knock the buzz down almost immediately. I don't need to sleep anymore, either. But I still enjoy it quite a bit. The hum in my ears from the whiskey and the sunbeam hitting my face makes me drowsy. My head lolls back on the headrest and my eyes drift closed. I'm not jerked awake. I'm simply aware of a presence where a moment ago there was thin air. Several low sounds penetrate my drowsy sleep. I haven't been afraid for centuries. I'm just curious what's happening next to me. I look to my right and I see the old bastard rifling through my pack. It appears that he's laying my worldly possessions out on the dash of the pickup. The sun is fully up now, and I guess it's probably 7.30. Live hard and die young. Isn't that the saying you used for your plans after the war? Asks the eternal being I've come to call Sam Ale. I look at you and I see what happens when you only do the first and not the second. He speaks a bit absently and then looks up at me. I feel that same feeling I always get when I lock gazes with an angel. It's a strange mixture of trepidation and excitement. It is the fear of a being that is orders of magnitude more powerful than I am, combined with a sure and certain knowledge that I, in some unknowable way, am a superior creation of God. My human mind has struggled for many decades to understand the complicated and convoluted history of the choirs of angels and their presence in the many theologies of the world, never with much success. The truth as I understand it about the twisted blending of all religions that represents the actual situation is that there exists in this ancient and expanding universe more than we can understand, maybe more than we should understand. Suffice it to say that all the religions have it right, and all of them have it wrong.
Sam Hale looks at me and says, Sir, we come full round and find ourselves in the same place. It does remind me of when I sacrificed myself to myself. Oh, Sean, that was a long nine days, I tell you now. But the knowledge gained was worth it all. He closes his right eye tightly and looks at me, as if I'm meant to understand his cryptic crap. I look at him quizzically. I've seen and done so many things, read and heard so many tales. It's difficult for my mortal mind to hold and then retrieve it all. Slowly it occurs to me. I get a mental picture of Samael as one-eyed Odin from Norse legend. He's said to have hung himself from the magical tree, Yggdrasil, and stabbed himself with his own spear. This sacrifice of himself to himself was made to show his willingness to sacrifice everything for knowledge. The knowledge he sought was the secret of the magical runes. He hung that way, staring into the well of Erd for nine days until he understood all the magic. An Odin reference, Samuel. Are you telling me that was you as well? I roll my eyes and shrug. I guess I pictured it as more of a Loki. Samuel takes a cartridge from my pistol, a line of bar 500, and makes it roll across his knuckles of his right hand. It seems to disappear from one side and reappear on the other. I know this is only the dexterity of his fingers, and no magic trick. I've learned this trick and many others by watching him. Oh no, that was Asmodeus. If you knew him better, you would understand. I don't bother continuing this discussion. It isn't what either of us wants to talk about. I wait a moment and I say, Today was 400. His grin disappears. He looks at me seriously and he says, Yes, it is. Is it true? Does time heal all wounds? One hundred years and four seasons in each. I've often wondered why you didn't tell me those years would not be consecutive. Why you never mentioned that it would be dragged willy-nilly into all of history and prehistory on your errands. My voice has the implacable push of my thoughts behind it, and I ignore his questions. I suppose that being a timeless being, having the ability to travel in the fourth dimension, you know as time, as easily as the other three, it didn't seem all that important. He shrugs and looks out the mountains to the east of us. I probably would have said yes anyway. Then I certainly would. I'm not sure about now. The things I know and I have seen, I don't know. The weight of my heavy soul seems to crush the breath from me. I voice the thought that's been running through my mind since I lost my pursuers some time after midnight. I will show you something different, your shadow at morning striding behind you, or your shadow at evening rising to meet you. I will show you fear and a handful of dust. I was never sure what T.S. Eliot was talking about in the Wasteland's poem, but I think I know now. Suddenly, Samuel turns to me with an unholy intensity. So, what now? Is that what you want to ask me? The answer is you are the only one who knows the answer, my boy. I spoke the truth to you when I said you can go your own way and await your just reward. My father's gift of free will. He flips his hand in a dismissive motion. 
I feel angry at this for some reason. So you just release me like a worn knife that can't take another sharpening. Take away the gifts and walk off. My voice begins to rise. You had me put a lot of credits into your account with your father, Yahweh. Did I commit 400 sins or 400 services? I don't even know anymore. The lines are so blurred. I can't see where I've been, let alone where I'm going. My shadow before and behind is invisible, and I fear the unknown. God damn it, I've seen fear in a handful of dust. And I'm an old man, and I don't know what comes next. I slump down in the seat again. The words leaving my mouth as a whisper. I don't even know what I have left. Samuel turns on the seat. He places his hand on my shoulder. He looks at me with eyes that are both patrician and paternal. I will help you if you want me to, Sean. I can't help it. My eyes mist and my throat gets tight. I won't cry. Lord, I want to. Sean, you have done me a great service. There is no doubt. Look at me. Tell me what you want. Let's use your poem as a metaphor, then. Are you Sybil of Kume that Eliot stole from an older source for his opening lines? Given the gift of long life, but now trapped in a cage as a curiosity? Do you feel trapped in your long lifespan? Sibylle Tithelis respondevat ilda apotenentelo. Do you want to die, Sean? His look is tender. His voice is soft, and the Latin from my favorite poem washes over me like a warm bath in winter. Perhaps you are the fisherman from the end of the poem. Will you be like him and use fragments to shore up the ruin? Will you carry on, push on into the glorious land where Hercules and Beowulf await you? Will you stay with me and cross into legend as a hero? The energy flows in his words, never increasing in volume, but with the power of certainty, alluring and solid, infused throughout. I will do either for you, with an equal amount of love. For the first, just lay your head back and rest forever. For the second, take my hand as you did once before, this time with no conditions on your immortality. Be your own man, bound to me by, dare I say it, friendship. His left hand stays comfortingly on my shoulder, as a symbol of the release that awaits in death. His right hand extends towards me, the same way I saw it all those years ago in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado, I think for a long time. Then slowly and deliberately, I... The end. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I'll Tell You a Tale. I am one part of this conglomeration of storytellers, Nathan Westoff, and joining me as sometimes is Alex. Hello, everyone. And also, as sometimes, Ethan. Hey. And uh, hopefully, if everything 
has gone according to plan, you've already listened to the story and heard our third or fourth, depending on how you learn to count in school, uh, host, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm the token old guy, the uh, father and uncle to the podcasters, Chris. And today we're going to be talking about Chris's story. You guys have already heard it and will hear it again uh, as the podcast goes on. But it's a story called Seasons of the Gunslinger. And it is very interesting, very... I like it a lot. There's, There's a lot that you do in your writing that I think is very brilliant. Base and like one thing that really stuck out. There's, I'm just gonna say it up front before we get into it. There's a line where you say, I had it pulled up, the man shaped thing waits too. And I was just like, like I, I read it, and then when I listened to the audio, I like paused it and was just like, man, that's a really good line. Yeah, guess what? When I wrote that line, I didn't know what that man shaped thing was. That's kind of the the exploratory writing process for you. Well, and I really liked it because it, it leaves it open a lot. So at first I was picturing like a small person, like a child-sized hooded figure. And then when you did the smile, you know, I was thinking more like a Cheshire cat. I never... Like, pictured a full-sized human. Yeah. When I wrote it originally, I thought maybe he would be sitting there talking to a future version of himself. But there's certain things where, I don't know, you don't put in a lot of detail. You put, like, dabs of paint in the background and people imagine all the details for you. So that's what I was going for. Yeah, I really like how you put that because I don't think that you ever describe Sean other than by what he's wearing. No, I want I want Sean to be yours. The devil's mine. The Sean can be yours. I think that that goes along with like the aspect of a engaged audience of like you have listeners and you want them to listen to your story but you also want the story to be something that they can relate to and you kind of dance that line of describing and not describing and letting the imagination run wild because words can only go so far your brain kind of takes control at some point and starts filling it in with the dabs of paint that you've laid out yeah it was fun because ethan was writing his book at the beginning and i told him yeah just go for it and clean it up later and so that's what i kind of did like riding my motorcycle in the rain you you can't really see until you turn your head sideways and you can only see out of one eye so that's what i was doing kind of exploring i think it it, it's it's come like i I think it was a, a successful exploration um i know there's potential for you to go on and write more but even just like this snippet into the eyes and life of sean like is just like i i listened to it in the car with uh megan my sister 
and she like I was just sitting there kind of like I'd already read through it but even just going back and listening to it there's something that is almost like uh, magical might be the right word and I lose a lot of it because I sit there and listen to everything that we say multiple times over and over and over again as I'm editing the podcast but like listening to it the whole story on my phone so I didn't have the chance to like edit anything all the way from start to finish was like kind of eye-opening and inspiring like oh yeah this is actually pretty cool to to do have these like short stories that you can listen to and enjoy when it didn't feel like a job for you (laughs) yeah I mean it's an interesting way to put it but I really liked it and I'm glad that we have a chance to talk about it. Is there... I'm curious because the most interesting thing about starting this podcast and doing all these, like, writing... Like, learning how you guys write is so interesting for me because we all kind of write differently. And I notice it... I I first noticed it when we did our first episode all the way back and Alex just sort of wrote down the whole story as I was editing the audio together and then I got to like go in and look at it and it was so interesting and then I'm continually surprised and pleased to notice the way that you the ways that you guys write and you kind of talked about you just kind of sat down and write what what was the original like seed of the story for you uh, the seed was growing up in Colorado and riding horses. And so I just started writing about something that I like to do. And then I said, we should make this a little interesting. And uh, in the middle of the night, something happens. I didn't even know what it was, what was going to happen. So I set the story aside for a little while. And then I said, hey. And that's, that's when I started going. I really related to the beginning part of your story because being out here in Colorado, you know, you're talking about the lichen covered rocks and that moment of when you're sleeping, but still listening to everything going on around you to have that shadowy figure all of a sudden sitting there is like worst (laughs) case scenario nightmare that we've all woken up with cold sweats. Right. But this time it was real. And I think any of us who've spent a night outside, you know that, oh, crap feeling when something's wrong. And thankfully, in real life, it's usually nothing. But this time, dun, dun, dun. Or at least not the devil. Yeah, (laughs) at least not the devil. Yeah, so as I went along, uh, Louis L'Amour, one of my favorite uh, authors ever, Lots and lots of cowboy stories. And it's almost always about an Irish gunslinger who's over his head. But he did write one called The Haunted Mesa, where I think he's in uh, Anasazi Ruins. And I actually don't remember everything about it, but that's when I started, you know, what about gunslinger gets creepy? So that's, I don't know how you guys do it. You start with an idea in your head, but... I mean, this was only sh- supposed to be a short story. And then Ethan read it and he said, you should finish it. I said, what do you mean, finish it? He said, 
What about after? Yeah. Yeah, the idea, because I think you were going to stop it right after he made the deal. Yeah. And then that was it, end scene. And I said, well, what about when he did all the all the 400 seasons? I mean, there's a lot of history that has to happen. And maybe, maybe it's way too much to talk about in a short story, but it's something that you can infer, and then you get to see, or at least you get to see where it could end. Because we still don't know where does it end. Yeah, it's kind of the interesting thing about short stories is like in the in the vein of novels like you get the you get all the time in the world to build up the characterizations of your characters and to be able to do that like the the inferring of like oh there's so much that's going on here like when uh you're kind of alluding to the fact that maybe at one point he Sean was religious and like then he like snaps at the devil is another very cool moment and he's like he never comes and just kind of that that whole interaction is like something that I can so clearly kind of like imagine and build so much on the characters in a way that like if it was at the end of the novel, it would make sense. But even the fact that it's just a short story, I can like see we're learning so much about these characters in a natural way. Yeah, I, sometimes I feel like I'm doing too much dialogue and then I get to the end and I'm like, well, it had to say all that. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the the idea of show, don't tell, but the the telling part of like telling really just refers to like going out and just writing out exactly what happens and like the the dancing along the 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 alluding and all of that comes and is very i think you did a very good job of it yeah i don't know what how you guys experience it but it is really fun and I'm glad that I have you guys to bounce stuff off of because you know I don't have a super clear idea and when I get a sounding board then it gives me the next idea to the next idea and so that's why I suppose uh, books have big dedications in the beginning because there's people like you know the family that doesn't just lie to you and say oh it's just great yeah yeah the the real feedback i know that you helped us change because i wrote an ending to dagger and you're like no fuck that shit <laughs> nobody gets to know make it how she, if she dies yeah piss like, everybody off you, at the end you don't get to that's a that's a real visceral moment that you just stole from the reader and i think that that was um i think that was a good like reality check yeah you certainly gave the oh shit moment to your mom on that one yeah i don't know did you guys listen to the second part i didn't listen to it but i read it you read it yeah that's I, I, it's I weird because it. you know you start out the, the way i started out i mean he's he's fairly young he's not even 30 yet and then the second part he's 130 and so I don't have, I don't know, like the man with no name from the old Sergio Leone 
uh, Clint Eastwood films. That's who he was when he was uh, in his 20s. But by the end, he's just he's beat down. Uh, he's like Roland in the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. He doesn't even know how old he is anymore. So writing that different perspective was, uh, was pretty fun. Well, and like Ethan said, how he was like, well, you have to keep going and finish it. When I read that, up to the end where he's like oh i didn't realize that the hundred years wouldn't be consecutive (laughs) and that you're also this person and this person and then it it goes to the point where he's like well i'm done like you can do whatever you want and it kind of he's sitting there and he's battling with himself over like i wanted this unlimited power and immortality but now i just kind of want to die and you just left it there like that. And I'm like, well, what does he choose? Does he, does he die? Does he? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know like, yet. And it's kind of like an interesting, like you uh, going on with the um, Ethan saying like, well, you have to finish it. Like, what's the end? It's like, really, you just told the same story and, and wrote to the same ending. Like in in just a different way, you've gone like you in the in the first part, we make it through to the decision and we know what's going on. But in the second part, it's kind of like, oh, well, that wasn't even the most important decision, because now it's like true. More than just a hundred years or is this the end? And like going back to the you don't get to know. Yeah, and the crazy thing is that I never would have written that. The funnest part was the second part, and I never would have written it if Ethan hadn't said, okay, finish it. What what happens at the end? And now, now well, I'm going like... back and, and writing some of the, the um, 400 jobs, and I need rules now, you know? Now, now it's, it's not free-flowing. I'm not exploring anymore as much as I was. I need rules. And I feel like that's a... If you have such a really close interaction with your readers and your writers, like the worst feeling in the world is finishing a series of books that you've spent so much time on, and then all of a sudden it's just done. You know, you're like, well, shit, I want more. And so when you're sitting there in the processes... You know, you started off with a short story, and we're probably going to push you until you have a thousand-page book. <laughs> I hope it's not a thousand pages. That's going to be a lot. We'll turn it in an audio book, and we'll crush it out. <laughs> piece by piece, little by little. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm wondering how big these, these missions, these jobs are going to get. But, it, well, and yeah, but to your it, point... It seemed like the job that you described was a an assassination but the way that i was imaging it in my mind is that maybe he wasn't always like a a killer like the devil's dirty work doesn't always have to be murder but because the deal was just a hundred jobs yeah and he and he didn't even say exactly what all the jobs were going to be if i have something needs doing you'll do it And it kind of goes like, I mean, I don't mean to like, 
a, a, a big part of what makes the story so interesting is like the mystery but like going back to the the learning about Sean through like like he, we understand that like he has goals and like the the jobs themselves are interesting but also a hundred years is a long time and just like those those 400 snippets like the when you're when we're saying like yeah he's 130 years old at the end like he's done a whole lot more than just those 400 jobs and yeah. so like to really think about it it's kind of mind-boggling and interesting yeah it'll be fun it'll be fun as long as i can keep it from feeling like a job right nathan Oh yeah, that's the uh, that's the most interesting part of writing for me is kind of like the it's very easy to do when you're inspired, but it's also very easy to like slip into the idea of well it has to be done it has to do this and that's kind of why I like the this having this podcast is one there are like the the deadlines of okay we've posted a, a story like granted it, it's it's a little bit of work like there's there's editing that goes into the writing process and then also into the podcasting process but for the most part we're we're making incredibly good time compared to like my book which is stretching into probably going to take me like my entire lifetime it feels like <laughs> of like finding that balance of being able to say, okay, this is going into the world. I'm ready. Yeah, well, at least you got this to set it aside and, and think and create something else, too. Yeah. I I had a pointed, I guess I had two pointed questions, if, if you don't mind. What? So the first one is, just to clarify... Where do you see, or when do you see this first scene happening? Because you mention, uh, I mean, you don't really mention the Civil War, but you you mention that he's a gunslinger, and you mention that he was a part of the, um, what, what was it, the fighting Fighting 69th, that's a real unit. That's why I like uh, yeah. throwing in yeah. like, details that are for real. Right, but where do you see that time, where do you see Sean in the beginning? Is it like right after the Civil War? Is it adjacent somehow? Is it? Uh, he's at the close of the after? summer, and, and he gets picked up. The devil gives him his first job in the autumn, and since they're non-sequential, um, I'll tell you, I've I've got the summer of eighteen forty. What did I say? Eighteen forty-nine. So he's going back from 1867 to 1849. I'll give him a little jump first time. So, yeah. So, like, right after the Civil War and then right before, that's probably a very strange jump for a character. Oh, yeah. Especially but it's just, his first job. It's just enough where he can notice the difference but still function, you know? Mm -hmm. The clothing's, like, 20 years older and missing some stuff, but... Yeah, there's and just so the many things. Oh, good. So many things. Yeah. I, I have just made a list of possible things to write about. Yeah, and then the second question I had was kind of on that. Um, how far back and how far forward do you see this going? I mean, you, 
you definitely don't shoehorn yourself in right now on the podcast. Like, it's not make or break the bank. This is it. But, like, where do you kind of see that? Yeah. So I think that some of the biggest protagonist or the biggest antagonists in this story are going to be uh, Samuel's uh, brothers and sisters, the other angels, and their children, the Nephilim, which have literally been around since creation. So that's why I gave him the history and prehistory uh, line in that second half of the story. So I, I want to take it from uh, the beginning of humans to, because that's, as I envision it, that's the beginning of Samuel's fallout with God all the way to the apocalypse, which is going to be a real thing. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. When you brought up that the whole Odin thing, and then in the end, he's in the pickup truck, and I just, in my mind, envisioned, you know, a, a 70s Chevy pickup. <laughs> Was it yellow? And so I had going, yep, with an orange yeah, tailgate. And I, I just pictured, so from the 70s, but then he was, he's like, wait, Odin, was that you? Or Loki, I always pictured you more as Loki. You know, and then you're like, wait a minute, this guy was like wild, wild west a minute ago. Yeah. Um, That's something I didn't think about is like, yeah, like what if he, if there was a job and he's in like, uh, then like Norse lands and stuff. So like you, you kind of like get that idea of like, oh, he's like maybe had interactions with, I don't know. It, it's just a very interesting like storyline to think about. Yeah, and I, I just I also imagine that Samuel gives him some other things besides invulnerability. And also, there's no way. I mean, for the reason that Superman was the worst uh, superhero ever. I mean, he's he's invulnerable to a point. You know, mm -hmm. if you're fighting a Nephilim or an angel, you're gonna get hurt. Yeah. And I, th I think that's almost, I think maybe that's why I like this story so much is that, or at, at least right now, you, we, you kind of avoid all of that problem. Like the, the idea of like, oh, there's conflict with no, with no consequences. Like, well, yeah, but at least right now we didn't read about any of it. So you, like, there wasn't really, for right now, you've sort of avoided the, um, consequences of trying to build tension with like this idea of like a superman kryptonite thing like that that's kind of a, a very important part of the story but also in some context not at all important because like the just the process of like mental fatigue at the end when he's like am i ready to die like that's something that is very interesting yeah, for a hundred years it wasn't even a possibility. So, um, but it's, unfortunately, you have to have rules at some point, and uh, I think maybe that's where you get in your writing, where you just have to set out the rules for yourself. But the great thing about being the author is you can go back and sandblast those rules and just do some rewriting and make it look like you knew what you were doing all along. <laughs> 
and that's the kind of style of writing that I have. Like, I'll get really inspired and I'll sit down and just brain dump onto the page. And then I'll save it into the Google Docs so I can access it on my phone whenever, wherever, whether I'm pulled over on the side of the road because I just got a really good idea on my way to work or I'm sitting in bed and I'll just, oh, I really want this to happen. And I'll go in and I'll just delete a bunch and then add something different or I'll go in and just add it as I want it. Yeah, I like working with a mental picture too. Um, have you seen the movie The Prophecy? I don't think so. It's because but... you guys are young and it's kind of an older movie. <laughs> but Viggo Mortensen, you know who he is, right? Viggo yeah. Mortensen plays Satan. And he is just so freaking cool. You know, just like, yeah, no, no big deal. You know, I'm Satan. This is going to happen. You can fight it if you want to, but you're just going to die tired. You know? <laughs> so that's what I... I like having that picture without stealing any of Viggo Mortensen's lines or, or anything. That picture helped me write. And I kind of like, I kind of like Samuel. I kind of like him. I know you're not supposed to, but. Yeah, but you wrote him in a way that is, I mean, you, what, what was the line? I forget it every single time. Patrician and, and paternal. paternal. Yeah, patrician and paternal. That is one hundred percent the way that he is written. Yeah, I, but he is also written with undertones of just. I mean, he will kill all of you. Yeah, I love the alliterative part of that. But it, you know, it, lordly, but also your father. You know, I think that's a. That's what I was shooting for. It's fun. I hope I don't have to go back and change too much, but I'm open to that if this gets bigger. Because you, and one go ahead. One of the other things that I really like about the character is we were talking the other day while I was at work um, with some of the guys about some TV shows that we liked, and one of the guys brought up uh, the the new Daredevil TV show on mm -hmm. Netflix, and he gets the shit kicked out of him. And it kind of makes you like him more as a character. Like when the good guy is sitting there spitting his teeth out into his hand. And so at the end of it, when he's just so beat down, he starts off as this guy who's sitting there pointing a gun at the devil. And then he's like, well, it's the devil. He's not, I'm not going to do anything if I shoot him. So he just puts it away. But then in the end, you know, this, he's sitting there with the devil's hand on his shoulder, just kind of like, man, I... Maybe I do want to die. Yeah, I think that's why we all come to love, like, Harry Dresden and... You really... Sam and Slim. They're just so beat down and they just keep going. But I get to work in a lot of cool stuff because, I mean, history is so full of crazy, crazy stuff. And T.S. Eliot's poem, um, that's... Uh, all those things I get to work in to uh, a story. Yeah, it's sort of the the interesting thing about um, fiction is that like there is such a vast history to draw on, 
And like if if you start going down the road of fantasy and world building or like science fiction and world building, like in some cases you have to write so much history or not even write, but just consider the possibility of. And in some ways that can be influenced by um, the real world. But when you're writing in the context of this is Earth and the histories are the same, you can kind of, there's, there's so much that happened and just wasn't recorded and so in in some ways it's very open to the interpretation of you going back and looking at them yeah i think uh, neil gaiman does that very very well reimagining reality i guess you could call it and making it um way more interesting than just something on a page yeah he's the author of american gods right yeah, well, the, the people are discovering his stuff. He's got Netflix He's got stuff. He's got uh, just had one on Amazon, uh, and you know your writing is challenging when people are sending hate mail. Yeah, but he has it. He has a he has a series that just opened up on Amazon, and this Christian group hates it because it's a devil and an angel working together. And so they sent this hate mail, but they sent it to Netflix instead of Amazon. Slight, nice. Slightly out of touch protest. That's all right. Protesting something. It's kind of, there's just so much anger. It doesn't matter who hears it. I'm just mad and someone needs to know. <laughs> <laughs> My problem is I'm against protests. I just don't know how to show it. <laughs> yeah, and Ethan, you helped me out with the uh, the references on that because you can get too far in the weeds really, really quickly and leave your reader behind. Because when I first wrote the uh, the Odin reference that you're talking about, it was murky and Ethan's a history major and he's like, uh, what are you talking about, Dad? Yeah, it took me a second to go, oh, Odin, I felt like Sean, except... I didn't have a hundred years of knowledge and memory to sift through, and I still was just like, "What the hell?" Because I think, I mean, you you just had the devil close his eye, yeah, and say nine days, and and then the reader's supposed to remember that Odin hung from Yggdrasil for nine days in, in order to learn all the magic, and it made total sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> and it, that's, I caught on to it right away because I'm huge on the Norse mythology and all that, and so I was like, "Oh." This is Odin, and then, like, if you just say the one eye, nine days, there's two crows, ravens in the background, like, perfect picture. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I'm also sitting here looking, sitting on my desk is a is a book, North, Norse Myths and Tales, <laughs> but not everyone has, there's no. so much, like we were saying, there's so much history, and not everyone, There's there's so much history, and there's so much fiction, and so, in some ways you're kind of like uh talking to niche audiences yeah um you know what i like is alternate fiction and i'm playing with the idea of him going back sean going back and purposefully changing history and uh because he's immortal he won't even remember that he changed it he just assumes that it was always like that do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he'll go the, back I, and kill some key person in the past 
which averts some huge catastrophe, but he assumes that's the way it was all the time. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it was, you know what? It might have been Legends of Tomorrow, the DC universe, Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They they started, it's a TV show and, and also obviously comic books. But um, the way that they wrote time travel, because they are uh, guardians of the timeline, the way that they wrote time travel is once something happens, there's a set amount of time before it becomes permanent and then it just... That's what it is. And everyone who is involved in it doesn't remember the old timeline because it doesn't exist anymore. It fizzled out. Yeah, that's... Uh, watching the new... Um, the new... Um, what is it? The Avengers movie? Oh, yeah. That's that like the end when they do the thing with Captain America. That Why don't people remember? Why doesn't he know? You know, that's what I was thinking. Which kind of made me think about... You screw with time, then what? Yeah. Um, Harry Turtledove, that's a guy who does alternate history really, really well. He uh, yeah. he lets the South win. I mean, he, he has a very specific thing in the, in the Civil War, it lets the South win, and then there's two countries on North America, and then World War I happens. In North America, those kind of things are really cool. But I think you can get down the rabbit hole really, really fast, and I'm I'm a little bit nervous to do that. Yeah, it's a slippery slope because then it becomes now you're focusing the book on alternate history rather than your time traveling bandit for the devil concept. Yeah. So- and I've seen some time traveling stories where people will do the stereotypical thing and they'll go back and kill Hitler. And then they'll do that and then Hitler becomes a martyr and then somebody steps in to fill his shoes even bigger and badder than he was. So the crisis that you think you adverted, actually you made worse or just the same thing happened but somebody else's name is on it or since the winners of wars write history, then the history books have different authors. But it doesn't actually change anything. I've seen stories like that before. Yeah. And it's easy. I mean, what we call tanks today would have been called barrels if the Germans had won because that was their code word and tanks was the code word that the British used. Mm -hmm. You could get really really crazy but so what i think i'm going to do is i'm going to have i'm going to have samuel be the only one who remembers the other way and the way we all know it is you know the way they make it turn out you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like oh what's that series um it's a oh it's like a young adult um the pen dragon series in in that world or in that like universe like there's this guy and well there's like an evil guy and the the they're fighting against all of these different turning points on different worlds and so like there's like a ancient world and like the the discovery of like gunpowder for them is like the turning point and there's all these like fantasy worlds and stuff but then there's earth 
and there's an Earth 1, there's an Earth 2, and there's an Earth 3. And they all have, like, different turning points because... And so he goes back in time, and, like, the turning point for one is the Hindenburg. And they're, like, he's fighting for, like, the the main characters from Earth 2, which is, like, present-day Earth. And he's, like, fighting trying to get through to, like, keep the Hindenburg from blowing up. And then he's like, wait a second. This is how it's supposed to be. And so, like, in that series, he blows up the Hindenburg, if I'm remembering correctly. This is, like, five years of my mind ago. But that yeah. idea of, like, turning points is very interesting. It is very cool. And there's so many things, like you said, that, that explore that. Um, the Umbrella Academy... It's on Netflix, also really cool. Oh, yeah. Playing with the timeline. Plus, what, what's his number five? That's I think that's who it is. That's right. just an interesting number character. Number five, yeah. Um, so, on that note, though, I think another thing that I was thinking of just today was we get so caught up in the earth is the only place and we are the only sentient beings and i i want i want samuel to get trapped into that and then suddenly samuel meets the lucifer of another planet in a totally different universe because god's got a whole bunch of fingers in the pot you know and also you kind of like realize that like at at some point you're playing with the the uh, subversion of expectation of like, oh, like maybe, like the devil's pretty powerful and like yeah, God made the like, in this context, God like made all the angels and people and everybody and then you think about like, oh, on power levels like this same thing is like going on. Infinite, infinitely amounts of times and ways and you think about wow. Yeah, somewhere, well, and not even infinitely, in a finite number of other God experiments, you know, that's, there's another devil, and there's another everything. Not so even hurt, you know? Sandman Slim, in the Sandman Slim novels, they have an interesting... Um, the god split they have the god yeah. split and it's the one god is now five different gods and then some of those die so that he's now weaker than he was when he was whole and but he's then still freaking god in the in the later novels the god before him shows up and he's like shit like i I defeated you at one point and took over and that's why I'm God now, but I split myself into five pieces and then killed some of them. So I don't think I can beat you, but it's like, he wasn't always the greatest, you know, there was someone before him and then he willed himself into being and just kind of said, Hey, this is going to be mine now. Um, and in one of Neil Gaiman's books, uh, it's called Lucifer. They made it into a TV show. Uh, God has a wife, and uh, Lucifer has a mother. 
It's pretty crazy. Yeah, what I want, what I would love to be able to do in here is to make all mythologies true. Sort of what I hint at, sort of at the end. All the religions have it right and all the religions have it wrong. Just to wrap it up, instead of making it totally different than everything, like splitting God or giving him a wife, I just like to see how all the existing pieces can fit together. And if you ever read the Iron Druid series, it's kind of similar to that. It's following a druid, and so he's following along with the old Gaelic gods, and then he's like, oh yeah, well, everybody hates Thor, like he's a dick, and and then it's like, wait, Thor? Like, he's not in your pantheon of gods, and then he's like, but there's also like all right. of them. If humans believe in it, they create it into existence. So there's not there's not just one Thor. There's the old Norse Thor, and then there's Marvel right. Thor, and they both exist. And then there's Jesus, and then there's Jesus that is like Jesus, and then there's Black Jesus, and there's White Jesus. Yeah, I, the funniest part of that for me was when uh, the Druid meets. Uh, the Virgin Mary, and the Virgin Mary is calling him son. And he's like, uh, you know, I'm hundreds of years older than you, right? <laughs> my yeah, my religion predates yours significantly. So, <laughs> And Neil Gaiman takes it to the next level where we've created new gods, just like the Marvel Thor. It, we, we make technology a god, and media is a god, and the old gods are dying out. The interstate is a god. <laughs> yeah, it just, you definitely have a lot of different ways that you can go. Yeah, I don't, it just, I almost it's just don't want to make it that big. Yeah, I think that you should pick one. Yeah, I'll, and I don't want to poach. I, I, I don't mind being inspired, but I don't want to poach. Because if you can come up with a great line yourself, there's so much more satisfaction in that. It's good. And the, the last thing that I, I'd say about it is um, the voice. And Ethan, you talked about the voice. You said you could hear Sean's voice or you could hear Satan's voice. And I didn't even really think about it until um, I sent the recording to my daughter and she called me up and she said, Dad, that's not how I read it. It's so much better with the voice. And uh, I don't know if every reader can get as engaged in it anymore. I know I listen a lot more than I read anymore. Yeah, it's it's almost a... It was, it was interesting. I had to teach myself how to read again. Um, because <laughs> I, I broke my brain with audiobooks and it took me like when growing up, I would just consume so many books that like, it, it, it was just incredible, like that I had lost that skill. And so like, I, I had to teach myself to read again. And I, I started with, uh, um, oh, now I forget. It's that the, the wheel of time series. I 
hadn't listened to it and everyone is always talking about it's like such an amazing fantasy uh series and so i sat down and forced myself to read the first book um and it was like incredibly difficult (laughs) to do because i just broke in my brain and then once i started i started reading like more and more books like i read a D &D book and it's, it's different. It's interesting. It's different. And sometimes, to Cora's point, um, I will read a book. Dune is a perfect example. When I read Dune, I, I read Frank Herbert's book over and over and over since I was young. But then I listened to it, and I couldn't skip anything. You know? All that crap stuff that I, I just missed it because it wasn't interesting. I, it, it had to, it had to be heard. I couldn't just blah, 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 and read really fast through it. So I got more out of it when I heard it for some reason. Yeah. Instead of reading it. It's, it goes back. I, I've been thinking a lot about stories because like we have a podcast about storytelling and (laughs) I'm like thinking back to, for me the same thing happened but for me that that series is the the king killer chronicles of like but in that book there are so many points where there are stories being told by characters to other people and you're thinking about the the idea of storytelling is so much older than books and like the I, i've i've borrowed I've borrowed stories from from that novel on camping trips and have told stories around the campfire of, well, yeah, I changed the names because this is a fantasy world and not everyone has the knowledge of the fantasy world. So, like, there's a, the, gold, the boy with the golden screw in his belly button. And so I changed it, like, to, okay, well, now it makes sense if you've never, li- if you've never listened or read to the story. But, like that the idea of having someone tell you a story is so much different than books and like they're so similar but they're also so different and like part of um i just recorded something today that maybe will become an episode and maybe not but like just having that in like my knowledge of like man now that now that we've started this this uh podcast i just want to have a family reunion and just like have (laughs) everyone put their phones away and we'll just go sit by a campfire and just talk about stories forever because we've been recording now for almost 50 minutes and it feels like no time has gone by and i think i think i'm some kind of like subconscious genius because when i had the idea for this podcast i didn't realize that and humble, yeah, that too. Um, like, I didn't realize that this is whenever any of the uncles or, like, any time that there are, that we as a family, like, get together and talk, at least, like, the the people who share all the Audible accounts and everything, our conversations always come back to this, and we're always talking about books. I don't remember what point I was trying to make. It turns your brain. I believe on. what it you keeps, said. It keeps your brain alive, and it, and it, the fact that we have this to share with each other, 
it was different when I was growing up with my brothers and we used to beat each other up and have connections and daily interactions. But now, I mean, we're in different states, but we still have stories. We still have somebody else's stories maybe, but we love them equally and we can share that because we don't have the daily things anymore. Yeah. But back to the point you were trying to make, Nathan, I believe you said that you were a genius. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and humble. Yeah, and humble. Yeah, and, and we said that you were humble. I don't remember where... I don't remember how I got there, but... like Probably to the point of we all enjoy these stories and telling yeah. them is a fun experience and putting it in a medium where other people or at least hopefully some other people are listening to it is is a cool concept that we get to explore yeah when i had the idea for the podcast it wasn't i didn't realize that we were already doing a podcast just nobody was listening to it and we had different hosts all the time and like we just like to talk about stories yeah i don't know if this uh i'll tell you a tale podcasting is new i think it's like you said really old Telling, t- telling stories is a really old skill, and people used to make a living at it. You can read information, but uh, you have to emote some of these stories. Yep. I think that, yeah, just giving the emotion to the characters with voice is, is so different. Plus, I get to I speak mean, in a light Irish accent. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny when I was listening to it cuz he, he didn't start off that way. It was like when he when he when the devil called out that like, "Oh, you have the Irish history." He like settled into it. As I was listening with Megan uh and she's like, "Whoa, this is on like, well, the first realization was, "Wait, wait, this is Uncle Chris." And I was like, "Yeah." And then she's like, "Hold on a second. He just started speaking in an Irish accent." <laughs> yeah, because I think Sean tried to put away his Irishness for so long, in my mind, you know, to hide it, because the Irish were kind of drown, downtrodden in those days. But uh, now it doesn't matter anymore. When you put it out, too, that he's changed his name, and when the devil's like, I know who you are. Not just who you are here, but I know who you were. That was the point where he's finally like, oh shit, yeah, I'm Irish. (laughs) Busted. Yeah, it was fun to write, and it's been fun to talk about. Yeah, and I feel like we could probably talk for like another hour, because that is typically how these things happen, but... I think we should probably start wrapping it up just just for a consumable listening experience for those of us who aren't related to us and <laughs> are just joining in on this conversation now. They don't get the yellow <laughs> truck reference. Yeah they, yeah, they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Some of those are just for us. And I think, like, I mean, a lot of this podcast is just encouraging these conversations because and making them happen more often. Um, but with that, we can kind of transition into our recommendations. And I know we've all talked about, I mean, most of the recommendations that we had planned out, I think we, this is the first time we had kind of said them before we started recording. And so they just came up in the conversation. Um, but I'll go ahead and 
uh, my recommendation is Sandman Slim by... Oh, I already pulled up his name and forgot it. Um, Sandman Slim by Richard Cadry, uh, or Cadry, excuse me. Um, and in that, on the on the topic of the devils, the, the Sandman Slim novels are this very interesting idea of this boy and I, I don't even remember how old he is when but essentially the premise is he gets sucked into hell and um the the series starts he he escapes from hell and like he has he's become something that is like more than a person and so he knows lucifer and he knows all the demons and uh he's fought and killed and all the archangels are real and it's just a really interesting story if if that's the kind of like it takes place in kind of like a present day uh, Earth, and if if that's something that you're into, definitely check out the Sandman Slim novels, uh, again by Richard Cadry. Okay, I'll go. Uh, my recommendation is The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. Um, he sums it up pretty well in his first book. You'll find me in the classified ads under Wizard. He's a wizard living in modern-day Chicago, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he is a wizard and also a private investigator. And it follows his many stories. And my, my recommendation will be Legend by David Gamel. It's an example of drawing someone into a story. They assume the history, and by the end... The legend, who is this uh, Druss the Axeman, you uh, you think you know him and everything that he's done. It's a fantastic book. And when he wrote that, uh, David Gamel had cancer. And he told himself that if the cancer went into remission, then it would have a happy ending. And if it didn't, it wouldn't. So I'll leave it up to you to read that book and see if his cancer went away and my recommendation will be the iron druid series by kevin hearn um and that's just i was mentioning it earlier they have so much history and he did a really good job of introducing new gods and i'm huge on mythology and so i would find myself he's like oh and this guy he's the turkish god of thunder and I was like, well, now I have to put the book down and go Google this guy and figure it all out. So that series took me a long time to process because every time they introduced someone new, I had to go and research it. And okay, now I know and I have this. And it was really, really well put together. And it was actually, I learned a lot when I was reading it. Yes, all very good, very good series. I guess that's actually the plural of series. Um, but with those recommendations um, wrapped up, we'll finish off. Uh, guys, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not aware, we're more than just a podcast. We have a website. Uh, check us out at www.ityatale.com. Uh, you can listen to the podcast there if you're not listening on the podcast app you can also read all of our stories if that's something that you prefer over the audio versions uh all of our recommendations are there and maybe more things will show up there in the future as this 
expression of our passion for stories continues. Um, check us out on Twitter. All of our all of our stuff is ITYA Tales, so we're at that on Twitter. You can search us up on Facebook. Send us emails with suggestions or comments uh, at ITYATale at gmail.com. Um, I think that's everything except we have a theme song. Um, amazing song. Listen to the whole thing on YouTube by Fashionably Absent. It's called Flux, a very prevalent song for our family, and I'm just so happy that we're able to use it Um so thanks so much please 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 if you are interested go and check out subscribe to him on youtube fashionably absent again um i think that's everything we have to plug unless you guys are doing other things without my knowledge and want to tell me about them now nope (laughs) no (laughs) and for those of you listening i just edited out two minutes of silence but Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I've been Nathan, one of the Westoffs. And I'm Alex. And I'm Ethan. Guest old guy, Chris. And we'll see you next time. Seasons of the Gunslinger Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Sun-baked, sun-fried, sun-burned, sun-destroyed. Just another goddamn day in the sun. Jesus, will this sun ever go down? Finally, the sun dips below the horizon, and that ball of fire gives me the rest I've been hoping for. I give a tug on the reins, and my horse stops. My left hand removes my hat, and my right works through my sweaty hair. A deep breath of the already cooling air fills my lungs. For the first time in many hours, I really look at the country I'm passing through and appreciate its beauty. The rocks, covered with colorful lichen, poke out through the bluish sagebrush. Low juniper trees outline the washes and draws that work through this mesa like veins. Ahead, I spot my campsite for the night, a low ridge about a mile off to the south. Ought to be some wood there, and the orientation of the ridge should block the wind if it kicks up. I'll also have a great view of my back trail. Not that I'm expecting pursuit, but I will have plenty of good light for an hour or more anyway. There's a cluster of large sandstone boulders that will shield the fire, and a small patch of cheek grass for my horse. My gun belt and hat are set to the side to take full advantage of the cooling air. The horse gets a rub down, and then a small fire heats a large cup of water. I drop a chunk of hardtack and another of jerky in the boiling water. I eat this poor man's soup as I watch nightfall cover my back trail. When full night arrives, I douse the fire and rinse the cup. Time to lean against a rock and listen to the night. It's finally cool, and my eyes drift closed. I'm not jerked awake. I'm just suddenly aware that I am awake. My eyes open, and I see the waning gibbous moon splashing its silver light over the open plain. I'm aware of my horse, and I can hear it breathing as it dozes. I'm aware of something else. I'm no longer alone.
My hand snakes out for the walker colt in its holster, and the large pistol swings up. It settles on the dark apparition that sits against the boulder some ten feet away. The shadowy figure doesn't flinch. It does not react at all. I wait. I've found it wise that when you've done what you need to do, waiting is the best thing to do next. It's also the hardest thing to do. The silence stretches. I notice that it is now truly silent. A normal night with its bugs and beasties hums with life and quiet sounds. Now there is a true deep silence that is so rare in the natural world. It seems odd that I can't see the face of the figure. In the light of the moon I can see most things. This shape seems to swallow all light. I wait. The man-shaped thing waits. All right, stranger, what brings you to my camp? I guess I lose this waiting game, but I'm still the one with the pistol. Smoothly, the figure leans forward. Just for a moment, the hatless figure is just blackness and burning eyes. Then, as if it's moving out of a shadow that does not exist, I see fine, delicate features. Those eyes, they burn above an angelic smile for just a breath, and then they resolve to a perfect black. The smile holds, and I confirm my suspicion that this is a man. You called, and I am here. The smile remains as he speaks. I believe you're mistaken, friend. I've been actively avoiding folk for quite some time now. Can't think of man or beast I'd call to me. My voice stays as steady as I would like, mostly. Hmm, I haven't been called beast. The beast, actually. The smile seems to stretch even further, although it doesn't seem possible. He chuckles a bit and then leans back. And I suppose I am often mistaken for a man. Listen, mister. I wouldn't say I like killing, but I've done it before. Please convince me not to shoot you, just so I can go back to sleep. I try to make sense of what the hell is going on. I make no headway. I've never seen a man so comfortable with a steady hand holding a gun on him. Sean, let's dispense with the banter and get down to business. I've had just about every threat imaginable leveled at me, and yet, here I am. My guest spreads his hand and executes a seated bow. The name he calls me surprises me. I can't remember the last time I was called by that name. Must have been in the old country, I'm sure. Even on my army papers, I'd put Michael instead. That name was easier to get rid of than my accent, but even that faded. It faded just like everything else. Ground down in that war. Do you and I know each other, mister? Because I can't seem to place you. I'm feeling the weight of my pistol, so I lower my hand to a more comfortable position. I haven't heard that name in seven years or more. <laughs> right, right. But I know your name. Not just the name you used in New York City and in the Fighting 69. Some of my names, I haven't guessed yet. And scrambles and kicks like an army.
my mind slips to Irish in my surprise. You're old scratch, aren't you? The devil's smile seems to stretch again. This time I know for sure no human could smile so wide. I'm not even thirty yet. Is it my time already? My heart sinks. Not sure if I want the answer. Oh no, Sean Michael O'Flannery. The way he says my name, each syllable sounds like the strike of a bell reverberating in the back of my eyes. Not your time. I'll tell you a secret. Your choices change the time of your death all the time. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He begins to laugh now, a deep, melodious laugh that gets just a little shrill before it cuts off. So what is it that I can do for you, then? I say as I put the big walker back in its worn holster. Oh, young man, we'll get to that. We'll definitely get to that. But first things at the beginning, end things at the end, and my things all along the way. Let's talk about your call and your desires first. We can save the other bits and pieces for dessert. His hands begin to dance around each other in a washing motion. I, I start to protest. He holds up his hand and shakes his head. Skip the silly and frankly childish word games. We both know you wanted me to come to make you into something else. To make you unstoppable. A force of nature. To bring justice and settle old wrongs. I really thought you would call me during the war, but you held so tightly to my father then. He sighs, shakes his head in such an overdramatic way it's almost comical. Now you accept reality. Even though he is omniscient and omnipresent, he rarely gets involved. But I am always here. I feel the old familiar rush the anger and the battle lust that has made me who I am and kept me alive. He never comes, never answers. The venom in my voice is fueled by all those memories, bubbling suddenly to the fore. My breathing is fast and my hands clench. The man who claims to be a fallen angel just smiles and nods approvingly. Yes, Sean. You see? That's why I came. That right there. I am eternal, and I have hated for so long. It's always refreshing to see it burn anew. A pipe seems to appear from nowhere in his left hand, and the lit match in his right. He leans back and puffs. Eternal, but busy, Sean. Do you want to hear my offer or not? I'll hear your words. And I'll keep in mind you're the Prince of Lies as you go, I say. <laughs> the Prince of so much more than lies, but I accept your skeptical condition. He puffs again at the pipe and exhales a cloud of smoke so dense it seems solid. Sean, my lad, I have seen you. Seen your heart laid bare. I have heard you. I have heard that voice inside you that speaks only the truth. Cease your own word games and speak plainly, I say. I'm tired and you have said you were busy. Let's get on with this so I can deny you and go back to sleep. 
His fingertips touch beneath his chin. With the pipe clenched in his teeth, his shark smile stretches again. Ah, the sweet taste of hubris. He leans in, his eyebrows arch. Sean, my boy, faith and fear both require that you believe in something that doesn't exist. I see that you've put aside your faith. My offer is to take away your fear. Fear of death, fear of hurt, fear of failure, all gone. That will make you immune to disease and plague. That will make you immune to damage from accident or violence. I wish to make you the Achilles of your day. An indomitable warrior who fears nothing on the earth. I will do this, not for your soul, but for your service. My father has cast me down for my grievous offenses, and I have long ago accepted that. My goal is not to add souls to my empire of pain and torture. I will earn the forgiveness of my father by assisting the development of his creation. The term of service will be one hundred years. You will take my directions during this time, and at the completion of the term, you will go to your just reward. He leans back, and his smile turns into a smirk. He curls his leg to his chest. He rests elbow on knee, and cheek on hand, waiting. My mind races. The possibility and opportunities fill me, and I ran through the things I might do. I wished for this exact power over death so many times. I'm suddenly shocked to realize I'm instantly considering this a deal with the devil. Cautiously, I ask, one hundred years of invulnerability in exchange for me doing things for you? I cannot be your slave for a century. There's no advantage for me. He laughs and slaps his leg. Oh no, not a slave, not even a servant. Just when I say something needs done, you do it. Too open-ended, I scoff. How about once a month, he counters quickly. Four times. Once per season, I fire back. Done, he says. And I get to choose whether to do it or not, I push a little. His face goes stern and cold. Impossible, he says flatly. I had to try, I grin. His smile returns and his hand comes toward me in one graceful flowing motion. Seal it, he says, and the words are in my head as well as in my ears. I stare at the hand. Think of all the tales about making a deal with the devil. Have I heard of one that didn't go badly in the end? Somewhere in my memory is the story of a saint that renounced God, but later was able to have an archbishop or a cardinal burn his contract. Of course, I know well the story of the fool Faustus, who sold his soul and wasted the magic he was given. I become your assassin for a century, four times per year, one for each season. In return, I keep my soul, but become immune to all damage, all the time. I attempt to state the deal as I understand it. Yes, he says. I have things that need done, and I judge that you can do what I need. I've tried other contracts when I had different aims, but now, he shrugs, 
Your soul is yours to do with what you choose. It's much more entertaining that way. Besides, I have others that must be collected, so they can begin their torment, and before they do too much harm. How long do I have to make this decision, I ask? Until I leave. So, a few minutes. The smile is huge. Slowly I extend my hand, thinking about what this means for me and for all the things that I have fought for in my life. As I take his hand in a firm grip, I can't help smiling. The smile feels huge, and I'm sure it stretches impossibly far across my face. Seasons of the Gunslinger, the last chapter. Second Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Chilled to the bone, icy as a whore's heart, cold as ice. Just another cold, empty night. Jesus, is the goddamn sun ever going to come up? Finally, the sun begins to light in the sky, and the temperature begins to rise. The truck rolls to a halt in the gravel. I brush the stray pieces of windshield off my lap. I sit alone. It's always my preference, I suppose, but today it seems particularly fitting. I'm expecting company, but I will enjoy this peace while I can. I reckon I'll come out of this deal just about the way I went in. The warm sunshine filters through the trees and the morning breeze stirs my hair. The road I have been driving down has ended. I know I lost my pursuer some hours ago, but I just kept on driving. The feeling of being on the edge of a cliff comes over me. It's the date I've thought about of a million times. I don't bother getting out. Just lean back into the upholstered seat and stare out the ragged hole that used to hold the windshield. My pack sits on the seat next to me and I reach and pull it over. I dig in one of the side pouches and dump out a can of Hoppy's number nine, gun cleaning solvent, and several boxes of special order pistol ammunition before I find a flask. I have no food in the bag, and I don't need to eat. I haven't felt hunger pangs in a century now. I still like to eat a well-prepared dish, but I've learned to keep it small. I eat only rarely, when I really want to, because I don't have to shit if I don't eat. I can't describe the pleasure of not having to indulge bodily functions. I am a living stereotype when it comes to whiskey and being Irish, though. The burn is familiar, and I take half the contents in one drink, knowing that my condition will knock the buzz down almost immediately. I don't need to sleep anymore, either, but I still enjoy it quite a bit. The hum in my ears from the whiskey and the sunbeam hitting my face makes me drowsy. My head lolls back on the headrest and my eyes drift closed. I'm not jerked awake. I'm simply aware of a presence where a moment ago there was thin air. Several low sounds penetrate my drowsy sleep. I haven't been afraid for centuries. I'm just curious what's happening next to me. I look to my right and I see the old bastard rifling through my pack. 
It appears that he is laying my worldly possessions out on the dash of the pickup. The sun is fully up now, and I guess it's probably 7.30. Live hard and die young. Isn't that the saying you used for your plans after the war? Asks the eternal being I have come to call Sam Ale. I look at you, and I see what happens when you only do the first, and not the second. He speaks a bit absently, and then looks up at me. I feel that same feeling I always get when I lock gazes with an angel. It's a strange mixture of trepidation and excitement. It is the fear of a being that is orders of magnitude more powerful than I am, combined with a sure and certain knowledge that I, in some unknowable way, am a superior creation of God. My human mind has struggled for many decades to understand the complicated and convoluted history of the choirs of angels and their presence in the many theologies of the world, never with much success. The truth, as I understand it, about the twisted blending of all religions that represents the actual situation is that there exists in this ancient and expanding universe more than we can understand, maybe more than we should understand, Suffice it to say that all the religions have it right, and all of them have it wrong. Sam Ale looks at me and says, So, we come full round and find ourselves in the same place. It does remind me of when I sacrificed myself to myself. Oh, Sean, that was a long nine days, I tell you now. But the knowledge gained was worth it all. He closes his right eye tightly and looks at me as if I'm meant to understand his cryptic crap. I look at him quizzically. I've seen and done so many things, read and heard so many tales. It's difficult for my mortal mind to hold and then retrieve it all. Slowly it occurs to me. I get a mental picture of Samael as one-eyed Odin from Norse legend. He's said to have hung himself from the magical tree, Yggdrasil, and stabbed himself with his own spear. This sacrifice of himself to himself was made to show his willingness to sacrifice everything for knowledge. The knowledge he sought was the secret of the magical runes. He hung that way, staring into the well of Erd for nine days until he understood all the magic. An Odin reference, Samuel. Are you telling me that was you as well? I roll my eyes and shrug. I guess I pictured it as more of a Loki. Samuel takes a cartridge from my pistol, a Linabar 500, and makes it roll across his knuckles of his right hand. It seems to disappear from one side and reappear on the other. I know this is only the dexterity of his fingers, and no magic trick. I've learned this trick and many others by watching him. Oh no, that was Asmodeus. If you knew him better, you would understand. I don't bother continuing this discussion. It isn't what either of us wants to talk about. I wait a moment and I say, Today was 400. His grin disappears. He looks at me seriously and he says, Yes, it is. Is it true? Does time heal all wounds? 100 years and four seasons in each. I've often wondered why you didn't tell me those years would not be consecutive. Why you never mentioned that it would be dragged willy-nilly into all of history and prehistory on your errands? My voice has the implacable push of my thoughts behind it, and I ignore his questions. 
I suppose that being a timeless being, having the ability to travel in the fourth dimension, you know as time, as easily as the other three, didn't seem all that important. He shrugs and looks out the mountains to the east of us. I probably would have said yes anyway. Then I certainly would. I'm not sure about now. The things I know and I have seen, I don't know. The weight of my heavy soul seems to crush the breath from me. I voice the thought that's been running through my mind since I lost my pursuers some time after midnight. I will show you something different. Your shadow at morning striding behind you, or your shadow at evening rising to meet you. I will show you fear and a handful of dust. I was never sure what T.S. Eliot was talking about in the Wasteland's poem, but I think I know now. Suddenly, Samuel turns to me with an unholy intensity. So, what now? Is that what you want to ask me? The answer is you are the only one who knows the answer, my boy. I spoke the truth to you when I said you can go your own way and await your just reward. My father's gift of free will. He flips his hand in a dismissive motion. I feel angry at this for some reason. So you just release me like a worn knife that can't take another sharpening. Take away the gifts and walk off. My voice begins to rise. You had me put a lot of credits into your account with your father, Yahweh. Did I commit 400 sins or 400 services? I don't even know anymore. The lines are so blurred. I can't see where I've been, let alone where I'm going. My shadow before and behind is invisible, and I fear the unknown. God damn it, I've seen fear in a handful of dust. And I'm an old man, and I don't know what comes next. I slump down in the seat again. The words leaving my mouth as a whisper. I don't even know what I have left. Samuel turns on the seat. He places his hand on my shoulder. He looks at me with eyes that are both patrician and paternal. I will help you if you want me to, Sean. I can't help it. My eyes mist and my throat gets tight. I won't cry. But Lord, I want to. Sean, you have done me a great service, there is no doubt. Look at me. Tell me what you want. Let's use your poem as a metaphor, then. Are you Sybil of Kume that Eliot stole from an older source for his opening lines? Given the gift of long life but now trapped in a cage as a curiosity? Do you feel trapped in your long lifespan? Sibylle Titelis Respondevat ilda apotenentelo. Do you want to die, Sean? His look is tender. His voice is soft. And the Latin from my favorite poem washes over me like a warm bath in winter. Perhaps you are the fisherman from the end of the poem. Will you be like him and use fragments to shore up the ruin? Will you carry on, push on into the glorious land, where Hercules and Beowulf await you. Will you stay with me and cross into legend as a hero? The energy flows in his words, never increasing in volume, but with the power of certainty, alluring and solid, infused throughout. 
I will do either for you with an equal amount of love. For the first, just lay your head back and rest forever. For the second, take my hand as you did once before, this time with no conditions on your immortality. Be your own man, bound to me by, dare I say it, friendship. His left hand stays comfortingly on my shoulder as a symbol of the release that awaits in death. His right hand extends towards me, the same way I saw it all those years ago in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado, I think for a long time. Then slowly and deliberately, I... The End